Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, and we ask that you would bless our services this morning. Lord, we pray that you would open our understanding to your word, that you would give us uh, strength to serve you this coming week. We ask that you would make the truths that are in your word real in our lives this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We need to leave church without knowing the precious blood of Jesus Christ has covered your sins. Amen. Take your Bibles, if you would, and let's go to Acts chapter 27 and just want to explain the direction that we're going in this morning. We have stories, real life occurrences that are recorded in the scripture, and we're going to uh, just touch over and, and read certain parts of this story and then go back and try to pick out some of the uh, real-life events, some of the passion, some of the fear and things that are just make up what is part of living and see how God's Word was applied in the life of the Apostle Paul in this story. And once we get all the way through, then we're going to go back one more time only we're going to change the circumstances just a little bit. We're going to see if there's not some application, not some things that you and I can apply and learn how to live our lives today because of what we found in the Scriptures. And so Acts chapter 27, verse 1, And when it was determined that we should sail into Italy, they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners unto one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustus band. And entering into a ship uh, of Adridum, we launched, meaning to sail by the coast of Asia, one Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, being with us. And the next day we touched at Sidon, and Julius courses courteously entreated Paul and gave him liberty to go unto his friends and refresh himself. And when we had launched from thence, we sailed under Cyprus because the winds were contrary. Skip down to verse 9. Now when much time was spent and when sailing was now dangerous because the fast was now already passed, Paul admonished them. And he said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with much hurt, with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading and ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. Skip down to verse 13. And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Euroclidon. Now come down to verse 18. And we being exceedingly tossed with the tempest, the next day they lightened the ship, and on the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship, and when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay upon us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, 
Ye should have hearkened unto me, and not have loosed from Crete to have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God, that it shall be even as it was told me, howbeit we must be cast upon a certain island. Now, this is what we call Paul's fourth or last missionary journey, as Paul was actually Uh, Not going of his own accord, he had been a prisoner of Rome for the last two years, kept in Caesarea. Uh, Before that, he had been almost beaten to death in the temple complex there in Jerusalem because of false accusations against him. And and he was forced, or or, uh, because of the circumstances, he was forced to appeal unto Caesar as a Roman citizen, knowing that the longer he stayed there in his own land, the more opportunity there would be for him to become the victim of those plotting against his life. And so now Paul was on his way to Rome, and as they put him in the ship, things went pretty well until they got to the island of Crete, and Paul went and he admonished the centurion and the owner of the ship, it's da- this time of sailing is now is dangerous because the fast is past. That is part of the Jewish calendar. It got later in the year in the time when the storms would break the Mediterranean Ocean. And uh, if you know anything about history, the entire bottom of the Mediterranean Sea is nothing but one shipwreck after another. Uh, that little sea, that small ocean, whatever you want to call it, uh, is one of the most dangerous places to sail in the world. Now we have these big steel ships and things like this today, but imagine your only power is wind, is what would happen here. This storm was well over two weeks in its duration. Now, we've had some big storms, but to be trapped inside a thundercloud, basically being tossed up and down the sea for two weeks straight, not seeing the sun come out for two weeks, it said all hope that we should be saved was taken away. Then Paul comes up onto the deck. And he said, you should have listened to me. We should still be at Crete. We would be safe, but we're not. Then he says, be of good cheer. Reminds me of Mr. Norman Vincent Peels. Anybody remember Mr. Positive Thinking? Positive thinking is great until you have a negative thought. Amen? Uh, Positive thinking works as long as nothing really negative is happening to you. 
Uh, it's easy to think of positively when negative things are happening to others. But, but when you are the one to whom they are happening, it's a little more difficult to say, be of good cheer. How many remember the silly happy song that was written several years ago? Don't worry, be happy. And one of the lines in the song was, when the IRS calls you on the phone, don't worry, be happy. No, get a lawyer, amen? Uh, the world has this silly idea that we can just be happy at any time. And most of the time, what do they do to when they want to be happy? Is they take a depressant, alcohol. And that allows you to feel happy about things you ought not feel happy about. Now, Paul was not Mr. Feelgood today. He was not just coming up, it's time to cheer up, guys. We got to have a positive attitude. No, Paul had a reason why his attitude was positive, did he not? And, and let's just look in, we're going to just dig in right here. Paul says, for there shall, verse 22, now, and now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee, Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God. Now, Paul had a reason to say, be of good cheer. It was because he believed God. Now, the first thing I want to tell you, the first thing I want us to notice, is Paul had God's word. This angel had appeared to Paul at night in the ship. And by the way, have you ever wondered why the wording is such, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee? Why would God say that, hey, Paul, I've given you everyone that is sailing with you in the ship. You're all going to survive. All 276 or 216 of you, all of you are going to live. Did that ship belong to Paul? No, he was a prisoner on the ship. Did any of the people belong to Paul? No. Could I just offer you something that we often skip over when we're reading through the Bible? Do you think maybe Paul had been praying for the safety of everybody on the ship? And if Paul had been praying for the safety and the lives of everyone on that ship, would it not then be just simply God answering Paul's prayer saying, Listen, I have heard your prayer and I have given you the lives of everyone. Paul, you're responsible for saving the life of every person on this ship. Amen? If we're not careful how we read the Bible, we'll skip over things like that. Paul had not just been sitting there going, what are we going to do? Up and down and down and up. Does anybody else have problems with motion sickness? 
Oh, man. I'll tell you, no Dramamine in those days. And by the way, even if they had it, don't you think they'd have run out after 14 days? Uh, I mean, uh, you can't stop at Walmart in the middle of a storm. Uh, it's done deal. Of course, there are no Walmarts in New York City anyway. But uh, Paul had God's word. Now, how many of you wish some angel would show up in the middle of the night and just tell you what God said? Could I warn you about that? Study angels in the Bible. Most people that met them were absolutely terrified. Uh, Could I just say you really would rather not meet an angel that you would rather be able to read it in God's Word. And by the way, how many of you have ever gotten a message? Somebody told you something and you got the message messed up. How many, how many of you have ever done that? How many of you are like me? If I don't write it down, I don't, I don't remember it. Uh Could I challenge you, that's why God wrote it down? But I'm I'm getting ahead in the sermon here. Paul did not have a Bible to carry with him. He was living the text that was about to be written. So God had to send an angel to give him God's word. But you and I can read the stories that are in here and find the answers that we need. And so Paul heard from God, and he simply said, I believe what God said. God answered my prayers. We're going to live. There's no one going to die on this ship, but the ship is going to be lost, and everything, all of the goods that are in the ship. You see, Paul had... God's Word. Years ago, some preacher television guy came up with a little ditty. God said it, and that believes it. And God said it, and I believe it, and that settles it for me. I want to challenge you. There's only one problem with that song. If God said it, it doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. It's still settled. Amen? God does not need your belief in His Word for God to be settled about it. For His Word to come true, it's going to come true anyway. Whether you believe it or whether you don't. But when God says something, And we believe what God said. It's not that God agrees with me. It's that I am agreeing with God. The essence of all false religion is simply this. It is trying to make God agree with me. Instead of me agreeing with what God has already said. You see, Paul had God's word. But by the way, 
Was this a new thing for the Apostle Paul to hear directly from God, to get direction from God, to have God's word on anything on a certain subject? Was this something new for the Apostle Paul? No, it wasn't. This He had spent his entire ministry life being obedient to the word of God. Paul was where he was. On this ship, in the middle of the storm, because of his obedience to God's word. That's important. I want you to remember that. We're going to need that in a few minutes. Paul did not get into the storm by doing what Paul wanted to do. He got into the storm by being obedient to God's word. You see... Paul had God's word that they were going their lives were going to be saved. But Paul also had a life that was backing up the word in which he believed. Have you ever met somebody that I mean, how shall we describe this today? The philosophical bum? Someone that has no job, no nothing, no life whatsoever, but they have all the answers for everybody else. You ever met one of those? I mean, they're everywhere, are they not? I want to challenge you that Paul was not in prison because he hadn't filled out his income taxes properly, uh, because he had lied, cheated, and swindled people, because he had been, uh, quote-unquote, my friends were the one that did it, but I was the guy that took the rap. If you've ever been to Rikers for a visit, you would. that's what you're going to hear. I didn't do it. All my friends did, but I'm the one they caught. Uh, That wasn't why Paul was in jail. They knew something was different about Paul's life. When Paul said, an angel of God spoke to me, whose I am, I belong to God, and whom I serve. Do you think anybody that was on that ship had been with Paul was saying, eh, he's not a real Christian. No, they all knew. Something was different about this guy. He wasn't like the other prisoners. By the way, look at verse 3. And and we'll just get a little touch here of the difference that Paul had. And the next day we touched at Sidon and Julius. He was the centurion. He was a Roman centurion. He was of Caesar's own group. That's what the Augustus band in verse 1 means. He courteously entreated Paul and gave him liberty to go unto his friends to refresh himself. Now remember, Paul is a prisoner who has appealed his case to Caesar. He is just as much in bondage and in confinement as the murderers and all of the other people. And here the centurion that is responsible for all the prisoners... Releases Paul, says, go into Sidon, see your friends, 
enjoy yourself and come back to the boat. Now, how many police officers, hey, you got family in this town, we're traveling to the federal penitentiary to lock you up. Uh, why don't you take a break and go see your family? And, and uh, you know, by the way, Mr. Gotti, have lunch with your family here in this diner and come back and then we'll go on and put you in prison. Does that happen? No. But it did here. Why? Do you think it was because Paul had such a good testimony and a good character? Because of his obedience to God's word? That he had lived such an extraordinary life while in captivity for the last two and a half or so years that this centurion, who hardly even knew Paul, just been on the boat for a couple of days, gave him the liberty to go ashore and refresh himself with his friends. He was courteously entreated by the centurion himself. Now, let me tell you something. That tells me that the way Paul lived was different than the way the other people lived. You know, if your Christianity is only good on Sunday, uh, I would encourage you to trade it in for a brand that's good on Monday. And Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, Friday and Saturday as well. Uh, that's what Paul had. And in verse 43, at the very end, as they had been in the storm, the ship was now being broken apart on the reefs of the island of what we now call Malta. The, the centurion and his guards had came together and they said, Listen, we just need to kill all the prisoners so none of them swim out and escape. Now, the Romans had an interesting little thing. When a prisoner was entrusted or held captive by a Roman soldier, if the prisoner escaped, the one responsible served his sentence. How many volunteered to be a Roman jailkeeper? I mean, that was pretty harsh, was it not? And these uh, under-captains came to the centurion and said, Listen, I'm not taking the rap for any of these guys. The ship's breaking apart. Nobody will know when they find the bodies on a beach next week that uh, there was a sword through it first. Uh, this is a Mediterranean, lots of fish and things. I mean, these guys are all going to be gone. No, no record of our deed. I'm not taking the risk. And it says here, look at what your Bible says here in verse 43. But the centurion... Willing to save Paul, kept them from their purpose. The centurion didn't care about any of the other prisoners. Verse 37, I'm sorry, I'll correct the number here. 203 score and 16, 276 people on this boat. There weren't that many sailors. It doesn't take a lot of sailors to take care of a boat of this size. We don't know the number. Uh, guarantee it was less than 50. 276, how many Roman soldiers would there have been? 
probably about the same number, more than likely less. That would mean 176 prisoners. And the centurion was willing to take the risk with 150 plus prisoners at least to save one man named Paul that he'd only known since he'd been on that ship. Let me tell you something. Paul's life backed up his belief in God. It did so much so that as the centurion watched this man, he knew there was something different about this fellow we call the Apostle Paul than all the other prisoners on the ship. Now, I want to be careful about this next one here because I don't want you to think that I'm believing in a feel-good religion and, and my religion is based on feelings because that's not true. But Paul had the right attitude here. He had the Word of God. He had a life that backed up his Word that when Paul said, I believe God... The centurion of the ship said, I believe Paul. That in itself would be ample topic for this morning's sermon, would it not? Just the challenge to live a life that when someone looks at you, they believe in your God because of what they've seen in your life. But Paul also had the right attitude. Sometimes... Uh, we look at circumstances and we allow them to weigh us down. I'll tell you, if I have any issue, one of my greatest things is, hey, I, I'm not a quitter, but I'm not always happy about it. How about you? And yet Paul come on this ship after 14 days of being tossed up and down, after... All hope that they should be saved was taken away. The angel comes to, from God to Paul and says, Listen, every one of you are going to live on this ship. And Paul goes up and he's not just saying, Listen, guys, we need to feel better about this circumstance. He says, Listen, I've got reason for you to take courage, to be of good cheer, to stop worrying about when your death is going to come. Because I believe God. Now, something I want you to think about, we're going to come back to in a few moments. When is the last time your belief in God's Word changed your attitude about less than favorable circumstances in your life? When is the last time the fact that you believed in God gave you courage to stand up and say, be of good cheer, even when everything around you was falling apart? I, I want to challenge you. That's what Paul did here. And one of the reasons we're looking at this story is because that's something you and I need to do. Or need to be able to do if you're not in the storm now. I've got good news. One's coming. Amen. Uh, that's what life is all about. 
And I want to challenge you that every person on this boat believed in some kind of God. The Roman people were one of the most religious peoples in the history of mankind. In fact, they accused the Christians of being infidels or atheists because they would only believe in one God and they didn't believe in any of the others. The Romans, when they took over, normally would incorporate the entire religious system of the people they conquered into their pantheon of gods. You see, the Roman chief god was a guy named Jupiter. The Greeks called him Zeus. Same guy, different names. Because the Romans, when they conquered the Greeks just literally incorporated their religion and much of their philosophy and all of those things right into the Roman system. Nothing new. And they understood the Jews and their belief in their God and, and they said, listen, we're going to give you freedom to worship. The, the Romans didn't tear down the temple until Jerusalem had rebelled against the power of Rome umpteen times in the history that Rome ruled Jerusalem. They were not afraid of adding another god. In fact, the Romans would have been happy to take Jupiter off his throne and put Jesus up there as long as all the other ones could have been left in the pantheon. But you see, the Bible demands a belief in only one god. And that's what the Romans couldn't handle. Do you think that Paul was the only guy out of 276 people on this ship that was praying? Let me tell you, everybody was praying. Everybody was praying until they ran out of prayers. And then they'd go over and say, you're not my religion. Do you have a prayer book? Let me say some of yours and see if they'll do any good. I mean, they were going all over the place, grabbing at straws. Because their lives were on the line, all hope that they should be saved was taken away. This would not have been the first ship lost without a trace on the Mediterranean. This would have been one of literally thousands. But God himself intervened, and that's what makes this story different from all the rest. You see, Paul's belief in God changed his understanding of the circumstance of life. Paul's belief in God all of a sudden made the storm non-topical. The shipwreck was non-topical. By the way, Let's just review here. Paul had God's word. The angel told him, you're all going to be saved. Paul had a life that backed up his belief in God. Amen. Paul also had the right attitude in allowing his belief in God to take his focus off the storm and off the soldiers and off all the other things that were going on and put his attention on God and God alone. And by the way, Paul had some direction. You see, the angel had told him there was not going to be any loss of life. Look back with me to verse uh, 20, 
uh, 22, if you would. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. Now, I want to remind you about something. If you're in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea and you're going to lose the ship, uh, you might want to have some place to go. Amen? I mean, if you're not going to have a ship to sail in, uh, you could be in trouble. Right? You say you're being sarcastic. Well, we don't think of these things. Paul said, where are you going? He's telling them, we got to have some direction here. Because we're going to lose this ship. The ship is going down. And so he gives them direction in verse 26. Howbeit we must be cast upon a certain island. Now here's Paul telling the centurion, listen, we're going to lose the ship. We're not going to lose any life. But here's where we're going. We're going to end up on an island. Now did Paul know the name of the island they were going to end up on? Did he pull out a map and say, you know, God emblazoned this map uh, and a tattoo on the back of my hand here. And if you'll just look at my hand, you'll know where to go. No, God didn't do any of those things. Paul said, listen, we're going to be cast upon an island. So why do you think that the men of the ship, as you read on through the story, were testing the depths of the waters? Well, Paul said, we're going to be cast on an island. They couldn't see anything. They were in the middle of the storm. They had to check somehow, and so they were checking the depth of the water, and all of a sudden, it started getting shallow. And so what did they do? It was the middle of the night. Now, it's dark when there's a storm. But when it's dark and there's a storm... That's terrifying. And so they threw the anchors out and the Bible says they wished for the day. But the sailors got an idea. They said, we're going to go up to the front of the ship. We're going to put some anchors out. And they were letting down the lifeboat. And before anybody knew what was going on, those sailors would have been in that boat sailing toward the land and abandon the people on the ship. This thing about women and children first, that's historically a new idea. Uh, and by the way, the evils of Western civilization are the only people group in history that have propagated that idea. That came from Christian men serving aboard ships in the mid-1800s. Because before that time, it was sailors first and the rest of you die. But back to our story. Verse 30, And as the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship when they had let down the boat into the sea under the color as though they would have cast anchors out of the foreship, Paul said to the centurion, and to the soldiers, except these abide in the ship, ye cannot be saved. Now, 
Paul is going to the centurion and said, these sailors are leaving the ship and unless they say, stay in this boat until we get to the island, we're all going to die. Now, why would Paul make that statement? Did he get any new revelation? Did the angels show up and say, Paul, they're sneaking over the side? No. God had already given him direction. The ship had to be cast upon a certain island. Was the ship at the island? No. It was still in 15 fathoms of water off the shore. How was the boat going to get to the shore unless the sailors sailed it there? Do you see how simple that is? God had told Paul, you got to be cast on an island. The boat wasn't at the island. How is the boat going to move unless the sailors move it? And Paul said, if we don't follow God's word all the way, we're not going to have the benefit of God's blessing. This was not new revelation. This wasn't anything complicated. It was just simple obedience to what God had already said. Are we still together on this? Okay. So Paul gave them the direction. Paul had the right attitude. He was no longer focused on the water, the soldiers. Don't you think Paul was aware that Soldiers normally kill prisoners in situations like this. This wouldn't have been anything new. Paul had lived his life up to this point in obedience to God's word. And it was nothing new when God's word came and told him to believe in something extraordinary. That every life on the boat would be saved. And by the way... Verse 44... And the rest, some on boards and some on broken pieces of the ship. And so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to land. God answered and did exactly what God said he would do. Amen. Now, this story is in the Bible for a reason. And I want us not just to read the words and skip over the details. I want us to dig in a little deeper here and and understand that Paul was not just going, okay, we're all going to be saved. I'm just going to sit here on my deck chair and wait until the Titanic sinks and I'll be saved. No, it wasn't that at all. Paul was actively involved in every point to the place where he saw what was happening. The centurions weren't paying a bit of attention And he said, listen, we got to stop this problem because if we're not obedient, it's not going to happen here. And I got a question for you. I want you to take a few moments and let's think of the story of your life. Not the person sitting beside you. Not that wonderful spouse that so desperately needs to change their life so I can be more uh, comfortable. You know, it's easy. Sometime I'm going to get out that sermon I preached several years ago on the Baptist shovel. And, and uh, we'll, we'll do that. But it's easy to take it and pass it on to somebody else. 
But I want you to think about your life. How many of you have ever felt confined by the circumstances of life? Trapped. You couldn't move. You can't do what you want to do. Everything around you is controlling you. Anybody ever been there before? I I dare say most of us have been there at one point or another, have we not? Sometimes it's just simply the temptations and pressures of this world. It seems like it's impossible to live the way God wants us to in these last days. And many Christians have just given up and say, listen, God made me this way. I'm just going to live in the world and, and I'll let God sort it out later. That's not what God's plan for your life is. How many of you are scared for the direction that our nation is heading in, in the nations of the world? Does it not make you at least a little bit afraid to think that financial decisions made by people in Europe could cause a collapse of the economy, not only in Europe, but right here in New York and throughout the entire world? Should we not rightly be concerned about those things? I think we ought to. Have you ever felt like all hope that your life may turn out right was taken away from you? That somebody else now held the strings and you could do nothing about what was going to happen to you? Now, you may never find yourself stuck on a boat under a Roman guard in the middle of a storm for 14 days. But I dare say that most of us will find ourselves in circumstances somewhat similar to what the Apostle Paul was enduring at this time. Would you not agree with me on that? When other people are making decisions that determine what happens to you. How many of you like that? Well, I sure don't. I I like to make my own decisions. But you know what? You can't make your own decisions. Just call up our congressperson and see if she'll listen to you about doing godly things. Listen. Call up the president. Tell him to straighten out the economy and see what happens. Other people make decisions that are going to control your life. Question is, what are you going to do about it? I want to ask you some questions. Question number one. Do you have God's word? Paul did. God sent an angel to Paul. Why won't he send an angel to you? Uh, Because you already have about 1,500 pages of it. Until you get everything in here taken care of, don't expect to hear anything else. And, And by the way... Don't expect to hear anything else because it'll take a whole life just to take care of what's written down already. Amen.
You see, do you believe God's word about salvation? That's where it all starts, is it not? It used to be, when I was a very young person, that you could ask anybody, do you know what it means to be saved? And, and they would have a fairly decent understanding. No, I, I'm not religious. Uh, uh, sometimes they'd say, uh, you know, I was baptized, but um, my relationship with God isn't one of those things that works every day. Now you ask somebody if they're saved, and everybody's saved. Now, everybody Oh, I'm going to heaven. I'm not worried about that. Well, wait a minute. Do you look through this book called the Bible. It has more to say about people not going to heaven than it does about people who are going to heaven. In fact, it was Jesus that said, Straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. He said, Strive to enter in at the straight gate for many... They're going to try, but they're not going to be able to get in. Until you understand the biggest storm you will ever face in this life is your own sin. But you don't know what other people are doing to me. No. Until you realize the biggest problem you will face this side of eternity is your wrong decisions and your personal sin against the holy God. Until you realize that it is only what you have done to break the laws that are written down in this book. Then you can believe God. About your salvation. As long as your salvation is secondary to something else or anything else. I can't tell you how many people over the years have said, Pastor, you know, I've got some issues in my life. As soon as I get them straightened out, I'll give my life to God and get saved. Say, whoa, wait a minute. That's not the way it works. But you don't understand, God could never take me the way I am. No, you don't understand, God will only take you right the way you are. But, contrary to public belief, God loves you so much, He's not going to let you stay that way. He's going to change you. A relationship with God that does not change the person that has it is not a relationship with the God of the Bible. A relationship with the God of this book called the Bible will change everything about you. If nothing changes, you better check your relationship with God. The Bible spends a lot of time talking about people who think they are saved. People who think they have a relationship with God. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Many shall say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord. What's his answer going to be? Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. Don't allow yourself to be caught up in this losing your salvation thing that's been around for as long as there have been people to teach it. 
Jesus said, you never had it. Once you have it, you never lose it. Because it is God that does the saving and not you. Many times I've sat across my desk or in counseling with someone and, and they'll begin to explain all these things and said, listen, I, I don't need to know your life story. Oh, but you do so you can understand why I've done the things that I've done. No, I don't. I know enough rotten stuff. I don't need any more. Because the word of God is not dependent upon your circumstance or your decisions. The word of God is God's word. And the only decision that matters is what you do with it. When the Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. It says what it means and it means what it says. But you can't believe on Jesus and something else. You can't believe on Jesus as long as he caters to your emotional well-being. You say, but, 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 but aren't I supposed to be happy? I mean, you said, Paul, we're going to get to Paul's attitude in just a minute. But Paul's attitude was because of the word of God. Because the circumstances didn't change. But I want to get to the second point that we made. You see, Paul had the word of God. And Paul had a life that backed up his belief in the word of God. And so question number one is, do you have the word of God about your salvation? How about... Do you have the word of God about your purpose in the direction of your life? Do you have God's word that gives you the answer to the danger that you are facing today? But I want to challenge you that unless you have the life that backs up your belief, nobody's going to believe you. I've heard many preachers, in fact, this issue was addressed through some of the preaching at the meeting I just attended, was the world's attitude toward preachers has changed. If you go back 50 or 80 years in American history, the office of a pastor, if you met someone who was the pastor of a church, they were highly esteemed individuals. Even if you didn't agree with their particular faith or doctrine, just the fact that someone held that office today, I'm not quite sure where preachers come in, but it's somewhere around Congress, I think. I mean, it is way, way down there. Why? Because there have been so many preachers that have publicly failed in the last 30 or 40 years. I mean, I'm glad my first name isn't Jimmy. Jimmy. Some of you might remember that, but I mean, there in a period of just uh, less than a year, we had two of the most famous preachers in America fail morally. Both of their names were Jimmy. And it's a scary thing. But how do I get that life that backs up my belief? 
Well, that's real simple. You start living today. You see, Paul had been living for God one day at a time since the Damascus Road when he got saved. Amen? And his life with God was no different in the ship than it was out of the ship. It was no different before he was a prisoner of Rome as it was while he was a prisoner of Rome because circumstances do not determine your relationship with God. It's obedience to God's Word. How did you get saved? You obeyed God's Word, right? How do you stay saved? Uh, God took care of that. How do I keep my relationship with God where it ought to be? Uh, By obeying God's word. It's a daily, moment-by-moment process. You say, but I'm not right today. Well, if you're honest enough to admit that, in a few moments we're going to have a place where you can come and talk to God about that thing and get it right. You can leave here this morning with your heart on the right path. By the way, if your heart's on the right path, don't you think your feet are going to follow it? They will. Do you have a biblical attitude? Paul did. He said, be a good cheer. I believe God. If we could only understand the greatest problem in this life is my sin against God, not what anyone else could or would or should do to me. The greatest issue I face is my personal sin against a holy God. If we could get our focus off the storms of this life and back on God, things would change now, wouldn't they? Does your faith in God give you the confidence not to be discouraged by what goes on in the world? That's the kind of faith God wants us to have. Amen. When you are tempted to be depressed, when you are tempted to throw up your hands and say, is it worth it? The answer ought to be in the word of God, not in some world of make-believe. You see, what people do today is they allow their faith to be relegated to the world of make-believe. That's good enough for church, but this is a real world. Excuse me, sir. This is the real world. And if your faith in God is in the land of make-believe, then I want you to understand your faith is make-believe. But my faith is real. Because it allows me to live in this world in which I function. And you know what? It's okay if the world thinks you're strange. If God thinks you're normal. Amen? It's okay to be criticized even by other people who claim to have faith as long as your faith is in God and in obedience to that book. We never need to be discouraged, but why are we discouraged? It's because our life hasn't been backing up the Word. 
we get ourselves into trouble through disobedience and then expect God to bail us out. God's not a slot machine. He's not a lotto ticket. By the way, most of the people that win those things get more problems than they do anything else. Do you have the right direction? I could spend the whole morning on this, but it's want to close. What happens if God tells you you're going to lose the ship? Maybe your life is going to be taken by some disease. You know where you're going? Do you have God's direction? Can you trust him all the way through to the end? What would we do if they took away our freedom and said, you can no longer assemble in Jesus' name and not face persecution by the government? I wonder how many people would show up next Sunday if that happened. And don't sit there and think that you would just be no problem. I'll, I'll, I'll always obey God. That's what Peter said before he denied the Lord. Because his confidence was in Peter and not in the Lord Jesus Christ. What if the ship of our nation went down? Study history. The longest lived free society in the history of the world is right here. Most Christians throughout history have lived under harsh, extreme, and sometimes life-threatening persecution. What if the ship went down? Where are you going to go? Paul said, God said we must be cast upon a certain island. I'm not looking for an island, my friend. I'm looking for the throne. Amen? That's where I'm going to be cast. As many of the songwriters have put it, I want to be cast on heaven's glad shore. Amen? But there may be some suffering between here and there. Am I going to allow that suffering, either physical, emotional, social, financial... Am I going to allow that suffering to deter me from my relationship with God? Am I going to allow circumstances to keep me from being obedient to God's Word? I was told years ago, Brother Pete, now you know you can't start a church in New York City. And I said, yeah. But God can. No, no, you don't understand. Circumstances just aren't going to allow that thing to happen. I said, well, you see, we got some direction here. We know that God likes churches, amen? We know that God wants churches to reach areas with the gospel and into all the world. And so we just stepped out and God took care of all the rest. It wasn't without some suffering, without, but we don't have time to go into all that this morning. But let me just ask you one more thing. You see, this priority in this whole thing was life. 
Paul said, listen, be of good cheer. Nobody's going to die. Do you think the ship owner was happy about that? Because he's going to lose his ship and everything on it. Let me tell you, when I get into this book called the Bible, the priority is life. But how many of you would be happier if somebody come up and gave you a court settlement or some honest means of money? Somebody just come up and handed you a check for $50,000. How many of you would be happier with that check than you are with the Word of God, which you can hold in your hand? Say, well, wait, wait a minute. Isn't this worth more than $50,000? Isn't this worth more than anything, any amount of money you could put on it? And yet we'd be happier. We'd have more joy over a little cash than we do over the Word of God. I, I'm telling you, we got our direction headed in the wrong way. The priority ought to be life. Nothing else. We spent a little time talking about Paul keeping the sailors on the ship. You know, sometimes Jesus said this. He said the children of light, uh, talking about Christians, don't have as much sense or understanding as sometimes the children of the world. You know, sometimes as Christians, we just don't have any sense at all. We take our faith in God and say, I believe in God, but now I've got to go to work. Wrong. I'm going to take my faith in God with me wherever I go. It's my faith in God that's going to give me a testimony day by day when I go to work. Amen? It's my faith in God that's going to keep me from being discouraged when the doctor's telling me things I don't want to hear. It, it's my faith in God that's going to keep me from getting bitter at other people who are trying to destroy me personally. It's my faith in God. It's going to give me the purpose and the perseverance, is the Bible word, to keep going when everybody else quits. Now, I know nobody in this room is in a ship right now. But sometimes you may say, I feel like the Apostle Paul must have felt. I have no control over my destiny, over what I'm going to do. I was put on this ship by people who refused to listen to wise counsel. I'm now stuck in the middle of this storm. It's 14 days. But I'll tell you what, Paul wasn't sitting there going, uh, Well, God, if you want to kill me, I guess I'll just die with the rest. He was praying for the safety of the others on the ship. And that's why God answered Paul's prayer and God intervened. My question for you, do you have God's word? Now, what I mean, do you have God's word is, are you obeying it? Is your life in agreement with your belief? Is your attitude... In agreement with your life and your belief. Is the direction 
And the purpose of your life, a reflection of your attitude and of your obedience to the Word of God. It ought to all be connected, my friend. You want to know why the Apostle Paul survived and did the things he did? It was because he had all of this in his life. No, he didn't sit down and write it all out. It must have biblical attitude. He was too busy living it. We're to look at his life, to examine it, to put it under the microscope, and then ask ourselves, are we matching up with the Apostle Paul, or are we trying to do it on our own? Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. The reason we do that is because we'd like you to take just a few moments and put your attention only on God and your heart. The first question would be, is there anyone here today that would say, Pastor, I'm not sure about my own salvation. I'm not sure that I've ever trusted Jesus as my Savior. I'd like to think that I'm going to heaven, but I don't know. Now, my prayer for you does not get you saved. You have to put your faith and trust in Jesus personally by yourself. But raising a hand would just say, I'm concerned about my soul. Preacher, would you pray for me? Would there be even one here today that would just lift a hand while no one's looking around and say, Preacher, pray for me. I'm concerned about my soul. I'm not sure where I would go if I were to die today. Would you pray for me, preacher? I'm not going to call your name or any attention to you personally. Would anyone just slip up a hand and say, pray for me? I see one, two, three. Anyone else? Four? Yes, you may put it up and then write back down. Thank you. Four hands. Anyone else today? How many would say, question number two, Pastor, I I know I'm saved, but my obedience to the Word of God, my attitude, my direction are not in agreement with the Word of God. I'm, I'm not living the way I should. Would you pray for me? Who would slip up a hand and say, Preacher, just pray for me? All over the auditorium, just slip it up and back down, testimony to God. No, we're not going to follow you home. Thank you. Anyone else? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you. We're thankful for this thing called prayer. You have given us an opportunity to just talk to you. Lord, we want to be careful what we talk about this morning. Lord, you saw each hand that was raised saying, I'm not sure about my salvation. Lord, my prayer is today that today would be the day of salvation in each of those lives, that they would be willing to take the time to allow someone to open the Word of God and show them how they may know their sins are forgiven and heaven is their home. Not based upon their feeling, not based upon some experience, but based upon the very words of Almighty God as written in the Bible. Lord, We pray for the many other hands were raised, saying, 
I know I'm saved, but the rest of it's not working the way it should. Lord, there's no way that I could even remember each hand that was raised, let alone know and understand the issues that are being faced in each personal life. But God, you already know it all. No one needs to tell you the pains and the suffering that's going on in their heart. You already know. And Lord, we pray that today we would let go of the things to which we are holding and trying to manipulate and grab a hold of your word. That we would start today building a life that is in agreement with the word of God. That we would let go of those dark and sullen attitudes that would take our attention and put it on people, on things, on anything other than the life that you wish to give us. Lord, we pray that you would change direction and purpose in lives. That we would be constrained by the love of Christ to be obedient to the words of God. And we'll let you take care of that purpose and direction. Lord, we pray that you'd just give us some old-fashioned sense to stop trusting in ourselves and just believe what the Bible says. We ask that the Holy Spirit would have freedom during this time of invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.